This is season six of the Mini Culture Podcast. I'm your host, John Gebertatios. Marital Lasura was a herald for a populist vision of America in the first half of the 20th century, especially in the Twin Cities. Despite being silenced by the McCarthy-era blacklist, later counterculture movements of the 1960s and 70s embraced Lasur's anti-establishment ethos. KFAI's Sheila Regan explores the continued impact of this 20th century rabble-rouser. Hush, my little grandmother. I'm a woman come to speak for you. I'm a woman speaking for us all from the tongue of dust and fire. From the bowl of bitter smoke, this is a song for strength and power. Merida Lesueur was almost forgotten. A fierce advocate of working people, women, environmental causes, and communities suppressed under capitalism, her distinctive voice was silenced in the 1950s by the McCarthy blacklist. But her words and legacy have been kept alive by those who knew her and those inspired by her writing. Lesueur passed down an unrelenting vision of people from interconnected struggles rising up against oppression. My name is Marilyn Lindstrom. I am a community artist. Marilyn Lindstrom first met Merida Lesueur at the Bread and Roses Collective, a residence operated during the 1970s co-op movement in Minneapolis. The Twin Cities were a hotbed for cooperatives in the 1970s, not only in regard to grocery stores, some which are still around today, but as living arrangements born out of the counterculture zeitgeist. Lesueur, the grandmother of co-op member David Tilson, would come and talk at the dining room table. To sit and listen to Merida when I was maybe 20, 22 years old was really incredible. I mean, you just grew by leaps and bounds um, listening to Merida. It was the beginning of the women's movement. I mean, she was in a an example that you didn't have to have a man to be a whole person. Hush, hush, my little root, my empty pot. Hush, hush, my little grandmother. I'm a woman come to speak in tongues of dust and fire. Woman bold and filled with power. There were always women at her feet um, listening to her read wherever. She maybe did a reading at a university and then she'd go out in the, in the yard somewhere and sit down. And if she sat down somewhere, she'd be surrounded with people, you know. She asked me if I wanted to go to a birthday party with her. And I said, sure, okay, sounds good. So she said, oh good, We're, we'll leave on Friday. I have your ticket. Can you get us a ride to the Greyhound bus depot? It's in Chicago, the birthday parties in Chicago. Lindstrom found the two of them a ride to the Greyhound bus depot, and they took the bus to Chicago, stopping at every town. There, Lesueur told her that buses were one of her favorite places to write. She brought her typewriter with her and wrote traveling on the Greyhound bus. Every time I'd meet someone and they'd be maybe from somewhere else. They say, oh, do you know um, this poet in Minneapolis called Merida Lesueur? I say, yeah, yeah, I, I know her. And the person would say, oh, well, she's like a mentor to me. Hundreds of people must have said that to me. Writer, musician, educator, and activist Louis Alameu, 
who ran the African-American Cultural Arts Center in Minneapolis in the late 1970s, is another person who counts Lesur as a deep influence. Her voice was so powerful. So when she would write a line like, uh, we come to kiss where borders disappear, that just really struck me. And it was like planting a seed inside of me. It's hard for me to imagine my sitting in this chair today without the influence of Meridel. Active in the Black Arts Movement, as well as environmentalism and issues around indigenous rights, Alameyu found Lesur to be influential in his thinking about how different struggles under capitalism are connected. Meridel helped me understand how industrialization not only affected the environment, but also affected the workers. The, the interconnection between things is really, really important. Lesura was born in Murray, Iowa in 1900. Her father was a Church of Christ minister. Her mother would become a feminist scholar and advocate. As a young person, Lesura's mother, Marion, fled with her three children from their home in Texas to Perry, Oklahoma, because at the time, Texas denied divorced women custody of their children. Around that time, Lesura began to write. I think I began to write when I was about 10 years old. At 16, Lesura moved to Chicago briefly to study dance and physical fitness, then moved to New York where she lived in a commune with Emma Goldman and Alexander Berkman while training at the Academy of Dramatic Arts. She'd eventually make her way to Hollywood, where she worked in films as a stunt woman, and then San Francisco, before moving to the Twin Cities at the end of the 1920s. The Depression started after the war. I had tried to sell my beauty, my talent, my body in the theater, in the open market, in the movies, in marriage. My writing was injured. How could a woman make a living by writing unless she went into the male world? Walking the streets looking for work in San Francisco, I began to write notes, my deepest feelings. I felt that I was not only writing my own deep root, but the deeper life of all women. Lesueur published her first short story, Persephone, in 1927. In the 1930s, with two daughters in tow and living in the Twin Cities, she taught writing and developed her voice as a populist journalist and nonfiction writer. I'm Peter Ratcliffe. I am uh, the co-executive director of the Eastside Freedom Library in St. Paul. And from 1982 to 2012, I taught history at McAllister College. Take the piece that maybe she was best known for as an essay, um, I Stand Here Marching, and her piece about the ladies' auxiliary in the 34 Teamsters strike. These pictures of the Minneapolis truck drivers' strike, typical of disorders flaring up in various cities, show a spirit of lawlessness which has no place in America. The Teamsters' strike in 1934 took over the city and the countryside, demanding a union and a living wage. Black Friday, men call the murderous day. Two men died from that day's shooting. <laughs> I was marching with a million hands, movements, faces, and my own movement was repeated again and again, making a new movement from those many gestures. Lesueur's account of the trucker strike offers a visceral document of what it was like to be at that historic moment. And it, and it does this amazing dance of being grounded in its own time, and yet also speaking to our desires and quest 
for a better life in our own lives and future. The walking, falling back, the open mouth crying, nostrils stretched apart, the raised hand, the blow falling, and the outstretched hand drawing me in. In the 1930s, Lesueur's career blossomed. She wrote for journals such as Scribner's, the Yale Review, and the Kenyon Review. She wrote the brilliant Women on the Breadlines in 1932 and completed her novel Girl in 1939. Lesueur's 1945 short story, Breathe Upon These Slain, won an O. Henry Prize, and that same year she published North Star Country, a folk history of the people of the Midwest, told in Lesueur's uniquely idiosyncratic voice. The anti-communist sentiment after World War II, however, impeded Lesueur's career path. In the McCarthy period in the Cold War, not only would publishers refuse to publish you, but universities would refuse to hire you. Um, You know, your your ability to earn a livelihood was certainly radically diminished. And if you were an artist, whether you were a writer or a painter, you had very little opportunity to present your art to the public or develop your art in any way with with support. Lesueur's career was hampered significantly after she was named by the House Committee on Un-American Activities. In the 1950s, Lesueur's main source of writing income came from children's books about figures such as Johnny Appleseed, Davy Crockett, and Abraham Lincoln, published by Alfred A. Knopf, Inc. But even that ended when the press went after her. For instance, Milwaukee Sentinel's breathless takedown of Lesueur in 1956 with the headline, New Lincoln Book Has Pink-Tinged Pages, a jab at Lesueur being a communist. There were government hearings, and that's what, you know, kind of put people out into the public eye. Um, But then it was the culture industry and the academic industries that, that really... Shut, shut people down. It was really quite a blanket uh, thrown over people um, like Meridell, and certainly it was an important part of the, of the Twin Cities. Not only did Lesueur see her publication opportunities dry up, but she found herself harassed as well, including at the home Lesueur and her sister operated as a boarding house, according to her grandson, David Tilson. The FBI would harass people who stayed there. And say, do you know that you know your landlady's a communist? And so pretty much the people ended up staying there were people who were blacklisted <laughs> and couldn't pay rent, <laughs> and so she couldn't keep up with the utilities on this great big house and the, all the other expenses of running this great big house. Meanwhile, Lesueur worked at the Communist Party bookstore on Hennepin Avenue just a few blocks away from their home on Colfax. She would walk there and, and, in the, and the FBI would follow her. And one day it was really cold and blizzardy and she went up and she said she tapped on their door and asked them for a ride since she knew they'd go in the same place. They wouldn't give her a ride. And I don't know if it's true, Merida would tell these stories like that. And she was a fiction writer. Well, she wrote nonfiction too, but she loved a good story. I often told people, you know, not to take the story she told as, you know, literal facts, that they were true in a larger sense, is what she would say to me. She writes that she was born at the beginning of the bloodiest century. I was born on the prairie, in the corn country, the corn village, in the middle of winter, 
in a square Puritan house at the beginning of a most brutal century, the 20th century. And I asked her about that. I said, the 20th century was really the bloodiest century of all? I mean, think of the Crusades and the Black Death. And she said, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not comparing it to other centuries. I said, well, when you say it's the bloodiest century, that kind of comparative... She said, no, I'm talking about the 20th century. I want people to think differently about the 20th century. That's what I wanted. Beginning in the late 1960s, things changed for Lesur. I call myself Mrs. Lazarus because I was buried and I was dug up by the women's movement <laughs> and given life again. This is really true. Maradell had been rediscovered um, by the civil rights movement, by the women's movement, by the anti-war movement. Maradell had a great influence on the kind of political texture uh, of, the, of the Twin Cities um, in the 70s and 80s. The younger generation during the 1970s and 1980s worked to reaffirm Lesur's place in history. One of those people was a young scholar named Neela Schlaining, who kept running across Merida Lesur when she was hired by the Minnesota History Center to go through their collection and identify works related to and written by women. You know, I'm just going through the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stuff in the card. We used to have card catalogs, you know, the old-fashioned way of doing it. And I kept coming across this Maridel Lesur. And one day I said to the woman I was working for in the library, I said, who was this Maridel Lesur? And she said, well, there's no was. She said, she's, she's still alive. And I said, I got to meet her. She was very exotic, you know, all the time. She, she wore just heavy jewelry and flowing clothes and, um, you know, this wild hair. And she'd walk into a room and people would say, oh, there's Maridel. And everybody wanted to be around her and, and with her and listen to her. She sort of seduced me <laughs> into joining the Twin City Women's Film Collective which was uh, working on this film about her life. Uh, my people are my home. In the country now with sense of ruin and desolation, I can never leave you. There were consciousness raising groups. It was individual women working on a very personal basis and a collective basis with other women, you know, to talk about their situations, to talk about what we wanted to do for women. Um, so on and so forth. Lesur's work, including the novel Girl, which was written in 1939 but not published until 1978, became fixtures of women's studies departments. Her work would become inspiration for not just the feminists of the 1970s, but into the next century. I'm Kimberly Nightingale, and I'm the founder of the St. Paul Almanac. I had a wonderful poetry professor, teacher. Her name was Judith Minty at Humboldt State University. She assigned the girl, and it's in St. Paul. The weight of the place and how the place interacts and the girl I mean, it was very apparent to me. I really realized that the power of place and people's 
experience a place is such a powerful, it's like another person in your life that should care and love you is your city. Lasura's family continues to preserve the writer's legacy for generations to come. Her great-granddaughter, Becca Tilson, is part of the family's legacy group for Lasura's writings and is involved with republishing Girl, to which she has written an introduction. This piece in particular is so much about bringing dignity and voice to a corner of the story that has not gotten to be told. The answer is not in our nuclear families. The answer is not in romance. The answer to our beautiful lives is not in heteronormativity of finding your man. It's in collective. It's in broadening your scope to a bigger we and to leaning on each other and building something together. And that's why like the end of the novel is all about mutual aid. We sing with you. We sing with you. In our current era, when the suppression of free speech is once again on the rise, as critical race theory and content about LGBTQ communities are erased from our school libraries across the country, we can look back to Merida Lesueur's voice. Her critical eye questioned America's values as a democracy with earthy idiosyncrasy. Her song for the collective community continues to resonate today. As she said in a poem set to music by her granddaughter-in-law, Barb Tilson, let us seek each other in the villages of the earth. We sing with you in choruses of millions. For KFAI, this is Sheila Regan. Special thanks to Barbara and David Tilson for allowing KFAI access to their family archive. Research was provided by Ann Thayer at the Minnesota Historical Society. Thanks also to Neela Schleining for additional resources, including her 1983 book, Songs We Sang Without Knowing, The Life and Ideas of Merida Lesur. The audio of Lesore heard in this piece is from a program that Marital and Barbara Tilson presented at the Thompson Recital Hall, Bemidji State University, broadcast on KBSB 89.7 radio, and a recording of Lesore's 1985 lecture at Western College, both courtesy of Minnesota Historical Society. Additional sound from The People Are My Home, produced by the Twin Cities Women's Film Collective. Support for Mini Culture on KFAI has been provided by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Season six of the Mini Culture podcast is executive produced and edited by Julie Sensulo with editing help from Ryan Dawes and Melissa Olson. I'm your host, John Gibertatios. Thanks for listening, friends.